Kia ora. I'm Damien Venuto. It's June 28th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. The government has stepped in to announce a $128 million funding package to assist our struggling universities. This comes after a proposal to cut more than 200 jobs at Victoria University of Wellington, which would have seen entire courses removed from the syllabus and others folded into neighbouring departments. While the government has responded to the furious calls from staff to plug the funding gap, serious questions persist about whether these steps go far enough. So why are our universities struggling to make ends meet? What does this mean for the future of tertiary education? On the front page now, Dougal McNeil, a senior lecturer in English at Victoria University of Wellington and tertiary education union branch president, gives us his take on whether the government's handout is enough. Dougal, the government has just stepped in with a package to help our struggling universities. What exactly was at stake here? What was at stake was hundreds of job losses across the country. Hundreds signalled at Otago, 229 at Vic. Also remember there's 400 jobs that have been slated to go at Tupukinga. The merged politics, there's been attempts at redundancies at AUT that are supposed to come in later on. So all up, we were looking at something like a thousand jobs going from the tertiary sector nationally this year. So obviously what's just been announced is very welcome. Do you think that this package will do enough to save all those jobs? This package will buy us time, and that's crucial. I think we need to have a wider conversation about funding. The Prime Minister, when he was Minister of Education, was quite open, campaigning in the last election that the funding model is broken. Country of 5 million people having its universities competing in a kind of zero-sum game is bad economics, bad education. So that's a wider conversation for after this next election. What this announcement has done has meant there'll be that moment just to pause, engage, take stock. That's really vital. What have the communications been from the management team at Victoria University? Have they said that there would be a moratorium on those job cuts at the moment? Or have those communications not come through yet? It's very early days. We've all only just heard about this announcement. And so obviously we're beginning conversations with the management and with the Vice-Chancellor. But the ball is in the Vice-Chancellor's courts nationally. Now the government has done something, has acted. There should be a moratorium on redundancies. There should be a pause If the vice-chancellors can do that, that'll give us a chance to have that wider conversation. So we'll be lobbying very hard for that in the weeks to come. The finance minister is adamant a $128 million support package for universities is not a bailout. It's going to all degree-granting institutions over the next two years. It will increase tuition subsidies an extra 4%. Grant Robertson says it is a contribution and a step forward alongside universities. To say to universities, we can see the pressure you're under. You're clearly under a great deal more pressure than when we started the budget process. A bailout, I think, would mean effectively going in and paying all the costs that universities have. It's definitely not that. Which departments were in the firing line at Victoria University? Which courses were potentially going to be cut? Which departments were under threat? You had two things going on. Because there's such a large number of jobs set to go, about 100 academic jobs set to go, you had cuts all across the board. Chemistry, physics, history, English, theatre, design, tourism management. And then following on from that, you had a set of courses that were going to go completely. In languages, Italian, German, Greek, Latin, postgraduate design technology, secondary teaching were all set to go completely. Geophysics, so across 
science, business and the arts, you were going to see this widespread cut. The arts were certainly an area that was going to be affected quite significantly. There was even a proposal to cut a course that was attended by Taika Waititi. So what does that suggest about the future of these industries if there aren't enough educators, if there aren't enough people actually teaching these courses? It suggests a pretty grim future. And if you're thinking about theatre and film and performance, that's absolutely integrated into the wider economy and society here in Wellington and in Auckland and for listeners uh, across the country. But also remember, even languages that might seem quite niche, like Italian, these are major trading partners. The other is part of the G7, Germany, fifth largest trading partner for New Zealand. And so even if you don't think you're interested in Goethe and Dante, as one of my colleagues said, you may well be interested in geopolitics. And so the cuts will actually ripple out in areas we don't expect them to affect. The country has been struggling for years to fill high school teaching roles. And Victoria University was one of the areas where people could train to become teachers. Are students now likely to be able to continue studying education at Victoria University? We're not able to confirm that yet. I think they should be able to. Again, I'd say the challenge is on here for the Vice-Chancellor. Pause these redundancies. We need to have a national discussion, I think, about what secondary teacher education is going to look like. These decisions have flow-on effects. If you have low enrolments one year and then you cut a course of that significance, what's that going to mean for future generations of teachers? That has to be a national and coordinated conversation. Otherwise, we'll end up with all sorts of unintended bad consequences. What has this done to morale across the staff working at the university right now? It's been a very difficult month. I think we're united, though, because we have a very, very strong student union here, and the student union have been acting right from the beginning of these announcements against the cuts. And so we see every day what this will mean for current and future students. And so a lot of staff, I think, even though they're dealing with their own potential redundancy, don't feel they have the right to be despondent when there are students and student future we need to fight for. Dougal, have you been satisfied with the quality of the communications coming from the management at Victoria University through this entire process? I don't like what they're saying, but I can't fault the way they're saying it. What they've identified is a funding shortfall and what they've identified is funding below inflation for multiple years. Across part, this is not a party political issue. This is something in national governments and in Labour governments, and it's reaching a crunch point. It's reaching a crisis point. And so in that circumstance, being able to have a national discussion and a national campaign is important. But obviously, you know, scores of my colleagues look set to lose their jobs. That's not something anyone ever wants to hear. Why were these proposed cuts so massive? Wasn't this downturn in revenue something that was telegraphed? Wasn't it something that could have been prepared for? I mean, why was it just so massive? To lose a thousand jobs across the tertiary education sector in a moment seems enormous. It does, doesn't it? I think there's a combination of factors going on there. I think there are some short-term and immediate factors. I think COVID burnout's a real thing. The borders being closed and a lot of students having studied in pretty suboptimal conditions by distance through the pandemic. It's kind of natural that a lot of young people are wanting to take a gap year or do something else. Low unemployment traditionally leads to lower enrolments at universities. We've got that at the moment. I think the cost of living in Wellington is a real thing. It's a really hard city to, to live in. That's driving students away. Certainly, we could have... I think, a pretty difficult conversation about some of the priorities and the decisions of previous managements around building projects and projects for growth when, like you say, the demographics and the enrollment projections were there. So there's a whole lot of short-term things, absolutely. But that national picture also shows us that there's something to do here with the funding model. You don't have the same crises emerging from Dunedin to Auckland without there being an underlying pattern going on there. And that's the issue I think we've got a chance to really intervene around. 
If you're finding this episode of The Front Page interesting and informative, be sure to follow us on iHeartRadio or whichever podcast app you're using right now. Every listen helps us keep you up to date with the stories that matter. The Labour government is the government in power at the moment. They aren't solely to blame for this, as you've suggested, but they have been criticised for allowing things to get to this stage. Do you think the party could face some political fallout for not acting fast enough, or do you think that this bailout will do enough to appease concerns? Well, firstly, I'd say I wouldn't describe it as a bailout. These are public institutions, and they serve a purpose. So getting them funding that is necessary to make them work is an essential task of government. And in fact, if we look at what was announced yesterday... The material that's gone in, the funding that's gone in is a reallocation. This is not new money that's appearing. Now, it'll be up to your listeners to decide how they judge the government for the way it's interacted. But I think we can certainly say Labour came and talked a big game about education. It's time for them to live up to it. And this is a first step, absolutely. It's a late step. And I hope to see more steps from them because this is a crucial area and one that can't simply be left to be neglected. There do seem to be some dual economic forces that come into play when it comes to universities. There's this idea that universities need to be sustainable from a business perspective in terms of attracting new students, both locally and internationally. And then they are also government funded. So have we maybe lost where that balance actually lies? Is that part of the problem here? I think absolutely. I mean, a lot of these are false economies, aren't they? If Mm -hmm. you go up to Auckland, you'll see lots of ads for Victoria. If you go to Wellington, you'll see heaps of ads for Canterbury. You know, you go down to Otago, you'll see ads for Auckland. That's a whole lot of public money sloshing around between public institutions fighting over students where then most of the money for the education of each of those students comes from the government. So even from a so-called sort of hard-nosed business perspective, that seems like a strange way of running things to me. But also, our members are really keen to collaborate and to find efficiencies. You know, you think about the teaching of languages, there's already collaboration going on between Auckland's and Victoria and Otago in areas with very small classes. This is a small country. There's ways that you could actually do more with what we've got rather than subject everything to this kind of mindless competition when, in fact, we may end up losing any options rather than that producing greater efficiencies. Migration levels are back up to record numbers. Immigration has been much stronger than expected in the first few months of this year. In March, for example, we had a net gain of 12,000 people. That's a lot, you know, that's above pre-COVID levels. And if that level is sustained, we'd see exceptionally strong immigration. Most people expect that level to drop off, including the Reserve Bank, but that level of immigration definitely surprised economists. So is there a chance that this could help to turn around the fortunes of our universities in the coming years? If we've got time to turn them around. That's the crucial question for me at the moment, and that's why I think the government's intervention has been so important. We need to push pause. If we get rid of whole programs of study based on short-term problems, we can't rebuild them. That expertise goes. A lot of those staff members will go overseas to academic jobs elsewhere. They'll go into other things. You can't just turn the tap back on when the numbers reappear. So if we can find a way to pause and take stock, we'll get a picture of those medium and long-term trends and be able to adjust to them. But we can't do it if we're operating on this very, very tight time frame. So this intervention from the government allows the vice-chancellors and the universities more generally time actually to stop this process and think. Dougal, do you think that the ongoing trend of 
online learning has had an effect on recruitment at universities in New Zealand, or is it a bit difficult to tell at this stage? I think it's a mixed bag. One thing I've noticed in the classroom is for older people who are maybe coming back to studies, doing study part-time, combining it with professional work, it can be really useful. For younger people who are fresh out of school, actually wanting that community, wanting that experience in a classroom, wanting to learn through engagement with others, it can be a real trap. We certainly know, and there's a lot of evidence in studies of education, psychology, education, theory, they're not equivalents. You know, classroom teaching and online teaching are not equivalents. And so for a whole lot of subjects, they're not particularly well suited. I think the kind of the tech solution, the gamification of education, all of those things are a little bit like the dogs that didn't bark, actually. They're part of the tool kit now, but they're not going to replace actual classroom interaction and community. Given that universities are struggling to make enough money to keep afloat and that governments have consistently been quite reticent in terms of providing that additional funding, do you think that fees could ultimately be pushed up in the future to ensure that universities do have a better buffer? I don't want to see our young people go further into debt. I think education is a public good. I think having a well-educated population is good for us. I think the skills that people develop at university are actually deployed in society more generally. And so even if raising fees might seem like a tempting short-term solution to individual institutions, I think it would be no part of an actual sustainable rebuilding It'd also have the risk of increasing inequality because that's one of the big struggles that young people have right now because the moment they enter the workforce, they have enormous student debt and it doesn't look like a good idea to push that up even further. Precisely, precisely. And then you add to that the cost of living as a student, rent, food, all the other issues that everyone else is dealing with, making it very difficult for them to actually focus on their studies. Let's not make that harder for them. Students have been reeling from the news for a while and I think they're shocked and saddened that they might be losing some of their favourite academic staff, their support staff that have helped them along the way in their university journeys and they're really uncertain about what this means for their futures because they've come to university choosing a degree, choosing something they're passionate about and they might not be able to complete it anymore. Dougal, has the staff at the university been flagging any concerns from students in regard to how worried they are about not being able to finish their courses? I think there's a lot of stress and uncertainty with students. I think students are reporting to us they're not really clear what this is going to mean for them. The university does have some legal obligations to students around being able to finish courses of study that they've begun, but having that whole uncertainty hang over your discipline is yet another stress students are having to deal with, and they're pretty trying to think of the right language for radio. They're pretty annoyed about that, let's just say that. Yeah, because it fundamentally means that if you've signed up for a course, that course expires in six months and then you probably have to relocate to another city that's offering the follow-on courses to the one that you're currently doing. That could well be the case. Or even if there are ways in which you can complete that course that you're currently in or that course of study, what if you're wanting to go into postgraduate study? What if you've got a particular passion for it? What if you've got particular supervisors and lecturers that have connected with your work? All kinds of questions come up from that. And all those questions entail costs too. Exactly. Exactly. Looking ahead, do you think that the lack of security in the academic world could lead to us losing top academic staff and experts to other countries in the near future? I think we've already started to see that, actually. And just anecdotally, I saw that through the COVID period and the uncertainty of the COVID period. It is always a danger. I love working here and I I think we've got great things going on in our universities in New Zealand. But when you compare the salaries to Australia, like with a lot of other professions, they're significantly lower and certainly the sort of the, the sum of funding on universities overall is pretty modest here. So there's a real danger. If we send the message that these aren't institutions that we value, people will pick up on that message and they'll make their decisions accordingly. Thanks for joining us, Dougal. 
that's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. You can follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.